0: The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Thank you, Scott. And it's always great to be back at Abner Creek. For those of you who may have just come to Abner Creek in the last year, I, um, I was the youth pastor here for about six years. And so during that time, I had the great privilege of serving some of the best students in the world and some of the most patient parents in the world. So uh, so happy to be back and see so many of you. But today, I'd like to ask you to turn with me to the book of, of Luke, chapter 2. And we'll consider a few things about Christmas as we're in This Advent season, waiting, um, this period of waiting, as Pastor Scott said, waiting for uh, remembering the time when God's people waited for God to come through on His promises to send a Savior. And so if you're making your way to to Luke 2 um, in your copy of God's Word, otherwise the, the words will be on the screen. But let's just begin by reading God's Word, beginning of verse 22, Luke chapter 2. Verse 22, this is speaking of of Mary and uh, and Joseph and the little baby Jesus after his birth. And when the time came for their purification, the purification that Mary needed to undergo after having a, a child, she was ceremonially unclean in Jewish law. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice, according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This demonstrates that Jesus was in fact born into poverty. Mary offers a two birds, a, a pair of turtle doves, instead of uh, instead of a lamb. The the sacrifice it would be. Uh, better if you had the means to provide it. If you you look in Leviticus chapter 12, offering a pair of turtle doves is is like the exception if you can't afford uh, the lamb. A pair of turtle doves are two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving us your word. You have not left us in the dark and as we remember that the period of time that God's people Israel endured, the 400 years of silence between the, the closing of the book of Malachi and the opening of the gospel events that we read about today, we recognize that you are not a god who is forever silent. You are not a god who leaves your people in the dark. The things that you have said in the past are true today still. And the things that we find recorded in your word are the only sure foundation upon which we can build our lives. I pray today as we look at this at this boy Jesus, this this man, the god man who was born to die. I pray that we would be moved I pray that we would be moved to worship and I pray that for those in the room, the the one or the the two or the handful or the, the many in the room who are not this morning trusting in you that they would see Jesus as good and that they would turn and they would find their rest, their consolation only in Jesus. I pray these things because, Lord, you are able to do them. In the name of Jesus, amen. I've entitled my lesson this morning, or or my my sermon, I suppose, The Consolation of Christmas. And it comes from this passage, uh, this verse, where it says that Simeon was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And of course, consolation is just a word that means satisfaction, or it means the rest, the, the comforting, Okay, The the same word that is used for consolation is also used uh, when it speaks of the Holy Spirit as the comforter. So these people are waiting for for the comfort, the consolation, the rest that is brought by the salvation of God. The people of Israel need this, of course. And and, and of course, you, you might recognize that this is a very difficult thing for them during this period of time because their whole worldview is based on the notion... That they are the chosen people of God, that God has for them certain very special plans in His salvation history. This is a hard thing for them to believe. It's a hard thing for them to maintain right now because they have endured 400 years of silence, of Persian captivity, and then Greek captivity, and then Roman captivity. During this period of time, they have been politically irrelevant. Their voice hasn't mattered, they've been a minority. But then there's this man, Simeon, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The first thing I'd like to draw your attention to is back at the beginning of Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two, verse one, I just want to to emphasize something. It says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Luke is speaking here. He's speaking as someone who is recounting to us not simply spiritual truths, these, these ideas that can somehow bring us comfort. But he's saying to us that the things that are recorded in this gospel are actual historical realities. They actually happened. And what a great temptation for us to, in this Christmas season, to think of the things of Christmas as just ideas, abstract things, these, these little notions or truths that are supposed to, for about a month out of the year, make us act nice to one another. But Luke says, no, the things that I am telling you actually happened in history. Listen to what he says. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. He's giving these historical details. And and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And specifically, Joseph went also up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, which... Is interesting for us because we know that the Messiah is supposed to come through this house and lineage to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time, gave, the time came for her to give birth. And this mirrors the very first verses in the Book of Luke, Luke chapter one, verse one. Luke gives his reasoning or his uh, purpose for writing the Gospel of Luke. He says, "Inasmuch as I have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things which." Have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So, the whole purpose of Luke's writing the gospel is to give an account of what actually happened. And this conveys to us this truth that there is no knowledge of God apart from knowledge of Jesus Christ. And there is no knowledge of Jesus Christ apart from from the historical realities that the scriptures say are true of him. Listen to how 1 John, listen to how the, the, um, the the first letter to John speaks of these things. He says, that which was from the beginning, he's talking about Jesus here, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have looked upon. He said this this word, this logos, he's talking about Jesus, this word that we, we heard, but it's not just a message, it's something that we saw. And then he takes it a level higher and he says, we touched with our hands. John is speaking as a person who experienced this to people who also experienced this. He said, this Jesus, this man who came, this God-man who wrapped himself into flesh, was born in a manger and walked among us, we, we saw these things happen. We, we could even, while he was here, reach out and touch him. It was that real. These are not just philosophies. We are not simply following a faith system. We are following a person a god man who came into history he says this life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the father and was made manifest to us it was here it was made real in our presence as pastor scott said to the to the kids a few minutes ago these are not fairy tales these are historical truths There is no salvation, no knowledge of God outside of knowledge of Christ, and there is no knowledge of Christ outside of the historical claims concerning who he is. Jesus, this whole thing that we're here for this season is real. I'll I'll quote Martin Lloyd-Jones. He spoke about people who simply follow philosophies and ideas and, and they think that there's great salvation found in ideas. He says this, now that is corrected here because we are concerned about Jesus and he uses the word Jesus to emphasize that this is not, he was not just a, a vision, he was a man. Jesus, his son, he was, he was born. We are concerned about certain facts and that is the great glory of our Christian faith that it is something based upon a series of historical facts and events And this very name, Jesus, reminds us of that. Jesus, yes, the baby that was born in Bethlehem in a stable placed in a manger, Jesus, an actual child that was born into the world, the boy Jesus arguing in the temple, still right in the realm of history and facts, a young man, Jesus, working as a carpenter, Jesus, Experience is not the ultimate proof of our Christian faith and reality, he says. Thank God we do have experiences, but thank God we have something much more than that. With regard to experiences, we must agree with the writer of the hymn who says, I dare not trust the sweetest frame. Feelings come and feelings go, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is seeking sand. The solid rock upon which we stand is Jesus, but he is not simply an idea. He is a historical reality, a person who came, lived, and died, satisfied for you and me what God demanded of us on our behalf. So for the believer in the room, for the the young adult, the student, the college student, the, the lonely person, the satisfied person, whatever situation you find yourself in remember this this season these are not just good feel good thoughts they are reality jesus was born in history secondly he was born to console israel This word console is is not a word that we use. Typically, you you think about consoling someone who is going through great agony or going through great sorrow or you might think of consoling someone who is in the hospital or you might think of consoling someone who has just experienced a great loss. But Jesus was born to console Israel. Listen to the the verses, uh, chapter 2, verse 25. Beginning in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. This Reminds us of the Old Testament language of of the Holy Spirit coming on someone for a particular purpose. This is before Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, and now believers can expect to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We're still kind of in this this time period where the Holy Spirit comes on people, doesn't indwell them yet, but he comes on people. For the sake of accomplishing a specific task, you think of of people in the Old Testament like David, the, uh, or perhaps even even Saul. In a period of time, when the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit rushed on him, um, this is a man who who God has sent His Spirit on to accomplish a particular task. While Jesus is here in the temple, and he came in the Spirit, verse twenty seven, into the temple. So there's this picture of of the Lord driving Simeon to the temple at just the exact time when Joseph and Mary would show up in order to say things that God needed to have said and recorded in his word so that we can read them and be encouraged by them today. He came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. This is kind of an interesting scene. The people bring their baby, uh, Joseph and Mary bring their baby into the temple, and there's this man, and he comes and takes Jesus up into his arms and starts blessing God. It's very strange. And he says this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen, think about 1 John, my eyes have seen your salvation. He's a real person who came into history. John says that which we have heard, that which we have seen, we've touched him. Simeon says the same thing. He says my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed God and said to Mary, his mother, these things. Behold, your child is appointed, is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And we have to put ourselves in the shoes of the people of Israel like I said a few moments ago, these people, their, their whole worldview is predicated on the belief that God has something particular for them in his salvation purposes. But this is a very hard thing to believe in these dark days. But the fact remains, Israel needed consolation. They've been traded around like baseball cards from whoever happens to be in power that particular day, the the Persians and then the Greeks and then the Romans, Israel needed consolation. God had spoken. He had been silent. When is the Messiah coming? Exodus 4 says this. Exodus chapter four speaks of how Israel was God's firstborn son. If if we look in verse 21 through 23, and the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Verse 22, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. This language continues to show up in the Old Testament about Israel being the firstborn son. And it it presents for the people of Israel this reminder throughout the ages that every time a firstborn son was born into a family in the community, in the Jewish community, it was a reminder that they were still waiting for the true and better firstborn son to deliver them, to bring the ultimate salvation that they needed, to give them rest from the law. They were told that Israel was God's firstborn son. Isaiah 40 and 61 speaks of Israel being consoled, being comforted. And every time this language shows up, it's talking about a time that's coming in the future. As if when Israel's salvation, when their consolation will come, it will be one day. There is a day coming. So the people of Israel are waiting for this day waiting for it to come. It always has a a forward-looking tone. And so what this caused different people to do was to look for a political leader or to look for a a military leader, someone who will take them back to the glory days of when they were in power, when David was in charge, perhaps, and when they were able to subdue their enemies and when they were able to have their way among the enemy nations. Some people were looking for that kind of consolation, but that's not the kind of consolation. That's not the kind of savior that God would send. And so it begs the question, who in all of Israel Who was looking for this kind of Messiah? Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Bible speaks about another woman here in, in verse 36, a prophetess, Anna. It says that she was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Very similar language. In other words, we get this picture that most of Israel is out looking for the wrong thing. They're looking for a political leader to come in and to make, you know I guess, the the, the taxes and the borders and the army and whatever, make all those things just right. They're looking in the wrong places for their salvation. You got the Pharisees over here on one side and they're saying, if we can just be good enough and if we can be pious enough and if we can follow the law enough, if we can find a teacher who can teach us how to follow the law well enough, then we'll almost put ourselves into God's debt and then he'll be obligated to come and save us. These people are looking either inward to themselves or outward for a military leader. But they're not looking for Jesus. And the leader that everyone else was looking for, Simeon, found in a manger. He found in a temple. It's very interesting because Joseph and Mary enter the temple. And and you would expect to be received by a a Levite or a priest to, to do all the ceremonial things that are required for a a child and a mother who who needs to be uh, cleansed from her ceremonial impurity. But instead, none of those people receive Jesus in the temple. Simeon does. Simeon receives Jesus, and he blesses him, and he speaks truth over him while he's there. The Bible speaks of Simeon as being righteous and devout. This is very interesting in in Luke. Luke always likes to to speak in twos. Uh, He says, Simeon is righteous and devout. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea was good and righteous. Cornelius was upright and God-fearing. Simeon was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and he was looking for it in the right place. This, along with the assurance that the Holy Spirit was on Simeon, gives us confidence that he knew of the kind of deliverance, the true deliverance, to expect that it would come in the form of of a humble baby. It demonstrates also this fact that even in the darkest of times when the people of God are themselves misled and are themselves trusting in in the wrong things, in in these cheap imitations, in these false saviors, even in the darkest of times when God's people are led astray, God will still preserve a remnant who will follow Him and who are looking for Him. And folks, I have this great confidence today that even if, if this nation continues on some kind of moral and social decline, and we are not in the, and we do not have the kind of political,, uh, I don't know, influence that we once had in decades past. God will still preserve a remnant for his glory. The, the purposes of God's church can never be frustrated because it is him at the foundation. Let us be a people who are not looking for salvation and deliverance in the wrong places, but let us be a people who are looking for salvation and deliverance in Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can bring us the end to our striving that we so desperately need. The third point that I would like to make is that Jesus was born not only into history and not only to console Israel, but he was born to end striving. He was born to end striving. Look at this glorious truth here in verse 22 through 24, kind of backtracking a little bit. Chapter 2, verse 22. And when the time came for their purification... This is mostly speaking about Mary. According to the law of Moses, they brought brought him up to Jerusalem. So the scriptures always speak of going up to Jerusalem. Even though Bethlehem is actually a little bit higher in elevation, they still go up to Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem's a place of prominence. It's a place of importance um, ceremonially for the Jewish people. They go up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and they needed to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord. Think about this. Even the most favored among women, Mary, who gave birth to the very son of God was still bound by the law and needed the very deliverance and salvation that her son came into the world to offer. She needed deliverance. She needed freedom from the the requirements of God. She needed someone to satisfy for her the requirements that God had on her. So you see this picture of she and Joseph doing the right thing, going to the temple, uh, doing the the ceremonial things required as Jewish people to to be purified and to follow the law. But it shows uh, that this careful obedience shows that even she needed rest from God's requirements because none of us can fulfill them perfectly. None of us can. The same consolation, the same rest, the same comfort that Israel needed then, you and I need today. Because I can guarantee you this, that each and every one of us, because our hearts are, as one person said, we're spring-loaded legalists. We come out of the womb believing that we need to earn from God what is required to be made right with God. Every one of us are seeking satisfaction in something. Everyone worships something. We are all seeking our rest somewhere. Whether it's through a substance or through a relationship or through escapism, spending hours watching Netflix binges trying to escape from the troubles, and find we're trying to find our rest somewhere. The only true rest is found in Jesus, and the only way we can be made right before God is not by fulfilling the law perfectly, because who, who among us can? The only way that we can be consoled and find our rest is to enter the rest that Jesus Christ came into the world to broker. Israel sought Israel consolation in other avenues, Think about it. Because their whole worldview is, has been shaken, they responded to their circumstances in different ways. Some of them were looking for political power. Others were, were seeking personal piety. The, the Pharisees were seeking to make themselves right before God through their own efforts. Some sought fulfillment through the law. But their, their strivings ultimately and always disappointed. And so do ours. But here's the, the glorious truths about the gospel. Jesus brought set the salvation that the Israelites yearned for, not by building for the people a new and better temple, but by templing among them, bringing the very presence of God to walk among them and to do miracles among them and to teach among them and to give them the confidence that when He leaves, His His temple will be made the bodies of believers because the Holy Spirit will come to indwell them. He's not coming to build them a new and better building. He's saying, I am coming so that you may be the dwelling place of God. Jesus brought the salvation that the Israelites yearned for, not by restoring Israel to its former glory so that they could have a conquest of all their enemies and rule mightily once again, but he brought salvation to their individual hearts by by performing a conquest on their hearts, by binding the strong man so that he could plunder their house. He's saying, I'm not coming so that you can conquest your enemies, I'm coming to conquest your hearts, to make you new. He brought the salvation they yearned for, not by becoming a a teacher who could tell them how to better try harder and fulfill the law, but he came so that he himself could fulfill the law for them and offer for them his life on the cross. Jesus does not come to tell us how we can do better, but he came to do it for us and to offer his life on our behalf, to exchange our badness for his goodness. The the story of Jesus coming into the world to live and to die can be summarized perhaps this way. God himself fulfilled the requirements of God himself and bore the wrath of God himself so that you and I could be at peace with God himself. That is what Christmas means. He came into the world to do the things that we couldn't do so that we could be made right with him. But look at this last point, and that is that Jesus was born to divide souls. Jesus was born to divide souls. Verses 29 uh, this is Simeon speaking about Jesus, speaking about what he will do in his life and the, the service that he will perform. And verse 28, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for, the, for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. We think about a a cornerstone. Some will stumble over him and reject him. Others will build their life around this cornerstone. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed." We're left to, to sift through these words, but we have to, we have to get it a little something. If you if look in Isaiah 49, Isaiah 49 uh, verses 1 through 7 say this. Uh, just, just listen to these, these words. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, and the body of my mother he named me. From the body of my mother he named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense is with God. Now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength, and listen to this, and he says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. In other words, that's not enough. It's too light a thing for you to save only the people of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, kings shall see and arise, princes and all, they all shall prostrate, they'll bow themselves down, because the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you, And it is this kind of language that is used here. When Simeon speaks of Jesus, it says that Jesus will be a light of revelation for the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel, that God has a purpose for his people still. He has not neglected them, but he will also bring in the nations to worship at his throne, to worship his name through the gospel of Jesus Christ that every tongue, every tribe, every nation has a place around the throne of God. And it says that that Jesus will be a sign that is opposed. I'll I'll quote someone else who, who speaks of this. The aim of Jesus is to bring together Jew and Gentile, but he will also come as a sword to divide as well. One will either stumble over this cornerstone or will build their lives upon it, the ministry of Jesus will reveal the true motive of every heart. If the ministry of Jesus and the stories about he, how he, he spoke to the people and the people asked him questions, and he didn't, ask, he didn't answer their question, but instead he answered what was behind their question because he knew the motive of their heart, if that does not tell us anything else, it tells us this that there is no fooling this man. He comes to divide souls. We might be able to clean ourselves up on social media and to fool our pastor or our family or our friends, but in the presence of Jesus, the very one who can divide bone and marrow and who can see the innermost thoughts of our hearts, it is he that we will stand before. This is a terror to the Pharisees And it should be a terror to us that there is no hiding from this man. There is no fooling him. He comes to divide hearts. And he says to Mary, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. The only hope that we have that we will be saved is if Jesus utterly ruins us, is if he divides our souls, makes clear to us what our condition is, enemies before him. And we are broken and respond to him out of that enlightenment of our our soul. If we respond to him in faith and repentance. Trusting him as our only hope. Because one day as, as we echo the words of the gospels elsewhere. Everything that was uttered in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. Because God knows. Jesus is not just a man. He is the God man who knows the innermost depths of our hearts, and he knows our true motives. The outward display does not matter anymore in his presence. But take heart, take heart, because God knows this about us. He does not come simply to accuse, but he comes to convict and to make new. God knows this about us. Listen to the words of Richard Sibbs. It says this, some are ashamed to acknowledge the true ground of their grievance, pretending sorrow for one thing when their hearts tell them that it ariseth from another, like the lapwings, I suppose that's a kind of bird, like the lapwings which make the greatest noise farthest from their nest because they would not have their nest discovered. This deceit moved our blessed Savior who knew what was in the hearts of men to fit his answers many times rather to the man than to the matter. I give you this great confidence this morning that no matter what is on the inside of you or what you are able to produce on the outside of you, God knows both and he loves you and he offers you freedom, freedom, freedom from the act the act. From the, the play that we put on. He offers freedom from the obligation to earn favor with God. He offers freedom from that. And it was that very compassion for you that moved him to the cross because he knows how easily our hearts deceive us. So we're all looking for consolation in something. The question. That we face today is will we find our ultimate consolation in another cheap imitation in convincing ourselves like the Pharisees that we can be good enough? Will we find our ultimate consolation in the hope that that our, our retirement account is secure or that our political party is in power for a season? Or will we find our ultimate consolation in Jesus Christ alone? This is just as pertinent of a question to the believer as to the one who has come in these these doors this morning not having a relationship with Jesus. Where do you find your rest? Where do you find your comfort? Where do you find your consolation? And I know this, that if the religious people of Jesus' day could be fooled, then so can we. Then so can we. If the very ones who saw him and heard him and touched him as John says, if those people can be misled, then so can we. This morning, where is your consolation? Let's pray. God, you are so good to us. We are a people who, who are pressed and afflicted with many different things. Some of us this morning are in the throes of loss and of grief. Others of us are in the throes of uncertainty during this this Advent season, this, this time that should be a, a happy time, a time where uh, we are reminded of, of years past. But Lord, for many of us, these are very difficult days. These are days that we are tempted to ask ourselves, Where is my consolation? Where is my rest? Where is my comfort truly found? And Lord, these things are not to make light of difficulty. But Lord, you give us uncomfortable seasons to prod us, to ask the questions that really matter. Perhaps there is one this morning who is in in the grip of some kind of habit or sin that they can't quite seem to break. Perhaps there is one today who who is simply content. And because of that contentment, because of that goodness of life right now, It is easy to to trust in ourselves. It's easy to to not think about the, the eternal things of God. But I pray this morning that for the believer in the room, for the one who knows that they are this morning trusting only in Jesus Christ. And of course we wonder, but Lord, for the believer that they would this week and this season, that they would leverage this Advent season to realign their focus onto Christ that he is the only hope. He is the only sure, solid rock on which we can stand. And for the one in the room who has walked into these doors or has been here time and time again, but they're just having an honest little internal discussion, perhaps that's you, you're having just an honest little internal discussion in your mind this morning. Lord, I pray that if there are some who are not trusting in Jesus, they've never found this rest, they are still striving Never rested from their from their sins and from their attempts to be good enough that this morning they would find the consolation that Jesus offers. This God man who came into the world and satisfied the requirements of God Himself, satisfied the wrath of God Himself so that we could be made friends of God Himself. Lord, what a what a glory. I pray, Lord, that that message this morning would move someone to turn and to place their their trust and found their entire life on You. And I pray You do that this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm here, and uh, Ethan is going to lead us in a time of reflection, and then uh, and then this this place. If, if you need a, a venue to come and, and and pray to the Lord, this will be an appropriate place for you to do that. If you would like to speak to Pastor Scott or someone, uh, myself, I'll, I'll be here. Love to do that in a time of response. I want to open that up to you. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.